The OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. On March 26th and 27th, the StarCityGames.com Open Series hits Los Angeles, California, and this event is going to be huge. We're talking hundreds of players, over $17,000 in cash prizes for the standard Legacy and Draft Opens, 18 SCG Invitational slots up for grabs, SCG Players Club benefits, live coverage courtesy of SCG Live, tons of side events, and as much magic gathering as we can pack into one weekend. So make plans to join StarCityGames.com in L.A., and we'll see you there. everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of the OMTG Taps. I'm Joey Pascoe, and uh, filling in for Big Head Joe, who is uh, in Texas right now after doing the, the coverage for the Star City Games Open Series in Dallas-Fort Worth this past weekend, uh, we have two guys who's, uh, th- whose names and voices won't be unfamiliar to anyone who, uh, who listens to Magic Podcasts. We've got Mr. Scotty Mack and Jay Bush from the A-Team. So. What's up? How's it going, guys? So uh, yeah, thank you guys for uh, for filling in. So uh, this week we've got uh, a couple of topics. We've got the the last two weeks of Star City Open Series to uh, to talk a little bit about. Um, these guys went to the TCG Player 5K in Toronto this past weekend, so we we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, some news for uh, upcoming sets, and uh, you know, just some uh, various topics. So we'll uh, we'll just get started right away with uh, with you guys. Actually, how how was your how was your weekend? Well, it was really interesting because we actually uh, we got Jay in from Calgary thanks to the generosity of the uh, community and our listener base. So it was uh, really fantastic to have uh, to have that happen. So we had Jay and KYT and myself all in the same room uh, for the first time ever for the three of us all together in the same place. So it was pretty wild. And uh, the event itself was, was really good. I mean, I felt like it was run fairly well. It wasn't all that big. I think it was just under 300 people or so. Okay. So, so it was standard, right? Yeah, so we had we had standard on Saturday, uh, and then we had a bunch of side events, and a, a major one was a there was a, a eleven hundred dollar draft on Sunday. Wow! So, yeah, so the draft top eight was a lot of uh, KYT's man of the five folks. We ended up leaving uh, just before the t- like we were able to railbird uh, Alex Hain uh, and. Um Vincent Tebow. And Vincent Tebow, yeah. Yeah. So we were able to sit there and, and watch them both draft uh, for the top eight. And, like, Hain got just the sickest, sickest green-blue pool uh, in uh, the Scars Besiege draft. And it was really cool to kind of, like, watch his choices and stuff, especially for me because I'm not I'm not an avid drafter. So, you know, it was really nice to kind of watch some of his picks and, you know, kind of go, well, that makes sense. And, you know, I think out of all of them, there are only three or four of them that, you know, were clearly the pro play where I would have donked it up. But... Uh, it was was really good. It was pretty sweet. That's cool. So, uh, what did you guys end up playing in the standard uh, in, the, in the standard events? Uh, I went. Uh, I was gonna try uh, cardboard witch on Twitter. Uh, Nina's Valakut list. Uh, me and KYT tested it. KYT was determined to uh, convince me that it was an awful deck and uh, mission accomplished there. So I decided to audible into. Um, into like back into my boros. Uh, the Valakut list that I was going to play was really well positioned for the meta. It just wasn't something that I was used to playing, so I just wasn't comfortable with it. And uh, after talking to KYT and Scotty and even Nina herself, um, the consensus was, as always, play the deck that you're comfortable with because uh, you'll do way better than, you know, if you don't. Um, 
the only problem that we ran into is like I don't know how many games Scotty played against Boros, but I played four. Like my first four matches were Boros mirrors, wow. and I mean, luckily for me, I'm an amazing, impeccable Boros player. <laughs> <laughs> so I did outplay like most of them. I think I had one loss, and in, in that game that I lost, like it happens, it's magic. Uh, but I ripped, I think, like 17 land. Uh, so land doesn't kill your opponent when you don't have any landfall guys. So. Um, so yeah, I played I played a bunch of mirrors and it was really fun. It was it was really great. So yeah, I ended up uh, I ended up facing not one Boros list actually throughout the event. Jay Jay did fairly well, um, and so did KYT. So so they did pretty well. KYT played Cobblade, of course, and I ended up running uh, uh, Smitty's Tezzer at the Mindhammer list. Which, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's an interesting list. So uh, tell us a little bit. You know, just just touch on that a little bit. Sure. So Jesse and I have been working on this for quite some time, and I mean, basically the deck plays uh, all three of the major Grixis Planeswalkers, so it plays Koth, Jace, and Tezzeret. Hence the name, uh, right? Hence the name, right? Tezzeret the Mindhammer. Uh, but it's really sort of like a really powerful mid-range deck, or or it's almost like an aggro control deck. So it's it's sort of in the vein of what Kago was looking to do initially, where it was like holding off the board, holding off the board, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, swing with Gideon and Colonnade for 10. You know, it's like all of a sudden your life's cut in half. And right. I find that a lot of the plays uh, that the deck is capable of turn out very much, very similarly. So it's sort of like I'll play Koth, swing you for four, you know, untap, play Tezzeret, animate an artifact, swing you for nine. You know, um, in the meantime, I'm kind of like Bolt, Blast, you know, Slagstorm. There's tons of removal in the deck. And then you got Jace to provide some velocity. And, and your closers end up looking like... Uh, the list we had was Precursor, Precursor Golem, uh, Wormcoil Engine, and Inferno Titan. But we, we've made some changes kind of since and gone away from the Precursor Golem because there's just a lot of Bolt, I think, being played right now. So, I mean, Precursor was really good when I was, you know, playing it out and then ultimating Tezzeret to win, you know, because a lot of people will not... You know, sweat Tezzeret. Like, he'll, if you're just cranking him up to, to get him up to four, people often won't attack him because it's like, well, he's just sticking. I need to get the damage through. And then when you untap and, you know, facilitate an eight to 12 point life swing. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> so relevant, right? right? And they go, oh, wait. You know, they're just like, well, I'll lose six. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah, you lose six. And I gain six. Right. Yeah. It's like the, it, everybody kind of forgets about the drain part of it. It's like, yeah, not only that, I mean, you might not be dead, but now I'm way further from dead than you thought I was. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Jay and I were playing a bunch of matches last night, kind of like the deck against Boros. And I think one of the main points that came up was really relevant is how increment, how possible it is to get, you know, huge steps in front of your opponent in terms of tempo. You know, like, the Boros match is generally really tough. If you can land, you know, like, the turn one guy with a fetch, turn two guide swing, you know, it, it's pretty damaging if you don't have the right hand. And, I mean, we found that often you need the optimal hand in order to to make a sport of it. Um, but for the most part, it was just really neat to watch how quickly it can get so far ahead. Yeah, it seems like, uh, I mean, it's reminiscent just in in the idea of it is just reminiscent of the, uh, you know, the Super Friends list from, like, last spring where it's like, hey, I'm going to play three Planeswalkers and uh, good luck. You know, like, Ajani and, it was what, Ajani, Gideon, and Jace. And Mm -hmm. I think think even Elspeth may have shown up in that list somewhat. So it was like, that was kind of nuts. And in this list, you've got, like, 
you know, the three most powerful planeswalkers in standard. Uh, not not counting Gideon, who I think is probably above uh, probably above Tezzeret and Koth. But uh, you know, in this deck, it seems like a you know, it just it just seems like a ridiculously fun deck to play, and it can get out of hand really quick. Yeah, I think the most uh, exciting part about it is that it plays from a bunch of different angles. Like, you can kind of go, well, you know what, I, I can contain the artifacts, so that's fine. But I've still got Koth that's animating mountains and beating your face in. So, right. You know, it's it's kind of neat from there. Uh, the challenge mainly with Koth is that in matchups where the aggro is really prevalent, it's really tough to um, you know just run Koth, because if you're already behind, he doesn't help you at yeah. all. So. He's so good in the control matchups, right? Because a lot of people, he, you just have to answer him, especially with all the Hawks and stuff that are running around right now. Because you kind of want to just run out Koth Emblem, and it happens actually pretty quickly, but he just absorbs so much damage because people have to address him or peck away at him or they lose. Yeah. So somebody running uh, that list did pretty well in uh, at the Star City Games Open Series in Dallas this past weekend, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. He uh, was actually playing against Nick Spagnolo uh, for top eight. Wow. And so Spagnolo ended up taking it down. And uh, what ended up, it came down, I think, to the third game. And we, he ripped the wrong planeswalker. Like, I think he pulled a Jace when he needed a Koth. And if he had pulled Koth, it would have been game over. Wow. Yeah, so it literally came down to just the wrong card at the wrong time. But it's pretty exciting stuff. Do you know the name of that player? Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. I'll get it. Okay. And then again, like just to go on the record, just Tezzeret the Mind Hammer is an awful name. So <laughs> everybody listening to this, please stop like trying to be clever by just mashing words together, and uh, and and be clever by bringing up old references to things. Or like conversely, like this, people call this Black Super Friends, uh, which I mean, the Legion of Doom was the enemy group to the. Super Friends, if you're, you know, following comic books. Right. Just call this the Legion of Doom. Why would you call this Tezzeret the Mind Hammer, Jace the Agent of Koth? Mm. <laughs> like, this is awful. It's awful. That's just awful. Right? Uh, like, I just I can't handle that. <laughs> I actually, I, I don't mind it, because I think people have been coming up with the Legion of Doom decks for a while, where they're like, you know, I'm playing multiple Planeswalkers, and it's not, you know, it's got black in the colors, so we're going to say it's Legion of Doom. So I, I think that name kind mm. of while it's not really taken totally, it's just kind of something that people... Anytime yeah. somebody builds a deck that has, like, different colors than Super Friends, they're like, yeah, oh, that's it's, fine. it's Legion of Doom. Yeah, that's that's right. I think, that, but, like, at the same time, I'm playing Boros, and I didn't play Magic when Guild Pact was around. Yeah. Right? So, like, it's... it's I mean, I think Magic's always going to recycle names, and, and it's... I'm all for uh, creative influence and, and artist rendering and et cetera, and, but if you're going to do that, like, at least say something that's funny or clever or at least rolls off my tongue. Tezzeret the Mind Hammer does not. <laughs> I, th- I think it's just a matter of, like, you know, the name of the deck doesn't matter at all. It's just, you know, it's just fun. And so people mm-hmm. like to try to come up with something fun, you know. Yeah. What the heck does Cephalid Breakfast mean? You know, yeah. it's just like <laughs> some of these names are just, they're crazy, but they're funny and they're memorable. I think that's the other thing, you know calling a deck, you know, Angry Birds, because it's got red in it. It's Call Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call Bleed, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't know. It's just fun and just variations. It's, it's, so look, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, speaking of names, I got the name of the person that was playing that list. Okay. Uh, it's Christopher Allen. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's pretty impressive. And uh, does Jesse have that list up on 60 cards? 
Yeah, it's going through some changes right now uh, to see kind of where it comes out. Chris has been really good with, you know, giving us his his impression. I had another guy as well uh, at the TCG event that was running the same list, so we had a lot of uh, a lot of good discussions about it on site. And there's some crazy email chains going back and forth. So look for some updates on that pretty soon because I think it's really close to kind of you know hitting the break. There's a couple changes I think that need to be made, and and I mean there's maybe just some some changes to the sideboard strategies that would really benefit us. So we're really uh, we're, it's really under analysis. We'll see what comes out. Cool. So, uh, but for those of you who want to actually see the the list as it is now, it's up on 60cards.com. I'll put a link in the show notes, of course. How did you guys end up doing in the in the event? Uh, I ended up going like finishing at four three. Mm-hmm. Um, I won my first four matches. No, yeah, won my first four matches, um, and then I lost. Uh, like to Cobblade, Cobblade, and uh, a really close uh, match or a mirror match against uh, Jeremy Froggett. Um, so it was really fun. All of my matches, I had a great time. Like everybody that I met there and all the players there, they were all really awesome people. There was, I don't think I ran into a single. Um, Jerk, yeah, yeah. And then it just say jerk. <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't run into any of those guys, and that was really that was really great to see. Um, so, uh, like the, the overall environment of the tournament was really great. Everybody there seemed to be there to have fun, and and again, like going with the spirit of bettering the Magic community, um, which has just been like so. Like crazy and 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 amazing, uh, getting to Toronto and then seeing all these people here that are actually just here for the game, not for themselves. It was really actually really great. So uh, so Scott, how did you do? So uh, I apparently the magic gods were out to hate my life. <laughs> um, so I ended up going actually like o two uh, o two one. Um, but the, I ended up going 0-3 officially. I ended up just uh, scooping in my opponent um, instead of getting the draw because, I mean, at that point in time, I I couldn't buy a win. I, I jumped into um, the the winner boxes afterwards, and I got to round two, played against Cobblade, which is my, you know, arguably one of my better matchups. And I drew, out of the 24 lands that are in my deck over two games, uh, I saw 24 of them over two games. Wow. Uh, I then also saw one of my potential 20 Planeswalkers over the course of two games. Now, the problem, of course, was that I was able to find, of my potential eight magnets, I found six magnets over two games. Um, So it was a long and painful, drawn-out endeavor that was just increasingly frustrating because I just, for some reason, couldn't find my walkers or gas. So it happens. Uh, I just have resigned myself to the fact that... uh, that's just it. Like a lot of the testing and a lot of the deck stuff that I've been finding is I get to the point where, you know, the, the opponent's dead on board, but then they just beat me. You know, so it's like you kind of get to the point where like they peel and they win, and right. that's fine. You know, but the format's very much like that too, right? There's just so many huge cards and big plays that are capable that you know there's a lot of come from nowhere plays. So right, yeah, it's uh, I, I know what you mean though about those kind of long painful deaths i can never just i don't think i'll ever forget 
it was just at an FNM, but I was playing Blue Red Control against a Merfolk, and we went to time in game one because I could not find a way to win the game. And uh, he couldn't win neither because I had all my control cards, but none of my win conditions. So it's like I think I used you know, four Jaces as a, you know, bouncing and absorbing some damage. He, and, you know, it, I was Pyroclasm and things like that, you know, controlling yeah. his board. But uh, I could not, I, I couldn't find a way to win. I mean, Jace obviously is a win condition, but not when your opponent can just attack it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's look at the uh, some of the Star City Games open series events from the last couple of weeks. We had uh, we had Memphis last week where Big Head Joe and I did the SCG live coverage, which is the reason we didn't have an episode last week because we were kind of exhausted from talking about <laughs> magic for two straight days. Um, and then, uh, of course, this past weekend was uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth open series where uh, where Joe was doing coverage, and that's why you guys are here. So, um, so in Memphis, uh, Joey Mispaggle won with Valakut. Uh, in the standard portion, and uh, that was something that that we were talking about at the event was that we thought Valakut might show up again because all the all the different call decks were trying to figure out how to beat each other. It was, it was like KYT's uh, opening, like they were all <laughs> metagaming against each other, and then Valakut kind of <laughs> snuck in. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, you guys, you were just talking about Valakut, Jay, but uh, yeah, and saying you didn't kind of think it was right, but. It's obviously a strong deck, and I think it's going to stay around. Uh, whether or not it stays, like, kind of at the v- very top, I think that's unlikely because Call Blade seems so good right now. Um, but, you know, speaking of which, Jerry T won just this past weekend in Dallas with Call Blade uh, with his kind of new take on it, which was he cut all the Day of Judgments and, uh, and ran Tumble Magnet instead. And um, that was just one of his changes to the list, but he took it down and, and God, Jerry T is just, he's ridiculous. He top eights or wins so many of these events. It seems like. Yeah. Well, he's, he's such an unbelievable player, right? I mean, Jerry's really kind of come to the plate this year and, you know, he really started to hit a tear last year towards the end and, and cleaned up and ended up winning the big one. Right. Right. Um, and now this year, obviously, with, there's a lot of people we're finding. If you take a look at you know the top five lists, you know all of the people that are that are in the running right now are the same ones that we see every single weekend. You know, it, it almost seems like you're looking at the top eight, and it's Jay and I were talking about this this morning too. It's like you look at the top eight, and it's Jerry, Alex, uh, Edgar Flores. You know, one of Spagnolo, Spagnolo, or you know, Levin or Calcano, right? Like those guys, and then four local turtles. Yeah, it, it seems that way. Like that. That's uh, you know, we were looking at the list, the the open points leaders. Now, the, this list, looking at the top five, which is actually six guys, because the the fifth place, there's two guys tied for fifth place. This may only be current as of Memphis, and not including the uh, the points from Dallas. I suspect that's the case because I think they usually update them. On you know Monday or Tuesday, and here we're recording early on Monday. So, uh, but number one open point open points leaders on the Star City Open Series: Alex Bertoncini with 81 points, uh, and then under him is Jerry Thompson with 65. So uh, after this weekend, I think Jerry may have. I don't know if he leapfrogged Alex because Alex also uh, also did really well in Dallas, 
But, uh, you know, he, he, those two are just kind of throwing haymaker after haymaker at each other every weekend just in the tournaments by their tournament finishes. It's like Jerry wins, and then Alex wins, and then Jerry wins, and, like, Alex top eights. You know, it's just nuts. I mean, just this past weekend in Dallas, Jerry wins the standard portion and top eights the, uh, you know, the legacy portion, made it all the way to, to the semifinals where he... Uh, he lost in the legacy portion. This is uh, to a Tezzeret affinity list, which we're gonna we're gonna touch on that in a minute. But um, you know the the other guys. So those guys are in first and second, and then in third place is Edgar Flores. He's the name that kind of one of these things is not like the other kind of things. Like who, who is this guy? He I feel like I've never heard his name up until the DC tournament just a month ago, uh, where he top aided in standard, and then right after that he top aided again in standard in uh, in Edison the week after that. And the week after that in Memphis, he top eights the standard portion, uh, makes the finals where he, he loses to Joey Mispagel. Uh, he was playing, uh, he was, yeah, Edgar was playing Callblade, a blue-white version of Callblade, which has been his deck in all of these tournaments for, for standard. Um, and as we said, Joey, it was doing, uh, was playing Valakut. But so Edgar makes the finals, and then the next day, playing in Legacy, his first day playing with Team America as a as a Legacy deck, uh, and he makes top eight of that. So he's just completely taking the tournament by storm, all the way up to the being in third place in the uh, in the Player of the Year race. I guess is the the correct term for it. And then we've got AJ Soccer, Drew Levin, and Ben Weinberg. So all these guys, you see them every week at these Star City events. And uh, it's pretty amazing how, you know, they, they show up every week, they do well every week, and they're all right at the top for the uh, the open points. I think that's how you do it, right? I mean, it's, it's all consistency. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is, I mean, it's 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 good that it's paying off. I uh, I couldn't be happier for Jerry T. Uh, that guy's just a monster, and uh, and that's that's what you got to do, kids. You got to you got to stay at something. You can't just be as good as Jerry T. Uh, by proxy, and that uh, that's a little shout out to Willie G, who's having a little bit of a conniption this weekend. Uh, <laughs> so just stick at it, buddy. Don't uh, don't do anything drastic here. Yeah, no quitting or taking breaks either. That that's right. That doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You don't get better by taking it easy. All right, so we've seen now since Paris, since Pro Tour Paris, this uh, Callblade deck has taken the uh, just it's taken over the entire metagame. Whether it's the the version that did well in Paris, or versions built to beat that version, or versions built to beat the version that was built to beat the version, you know, the original version. It's just <laughs> yeah. ridiculous, and that's, I think, why we saw, you know, Valakut do well and Mono Red do well, because they were kind of preying on the the confusion between these all these call decks, but uh, it still continues to be ridiculously consistent, and, you know, being a really high-performing deck, we've got, it, just looking at the Dallas... Uh, the top eight in Dallas. We got Callblade, Goblins, Callblade, Naya Vengevine, Callblade, Green White Aggro, Callblade, Callblade. So it's like one, <laughs> two, three, four, I'm counting five here, yeah. So five Callblade decks in the top eight. Do you guys think that it's a function of the deck's strength or of players' unwillingness to, to kind of innovate um, and, uh, or, or maybe a combination of both? Well, I, I think that when you take a look at the cards in a vacuum, right, like the strategy is very flexible, but at the same time just so powerful. 
You know, like you look at the other decks like uh, Valakit, for example, and, you know, it's really a linear strategy. Like clearly it's the combo deck of the format. And it when it goes off, it's ridiculous. Um, but I think that people are looking to take better advantage of, you know, metagaming, you know, the system, these people like Jerry and, and Nick and, and, you know, all these guys, they are going to these events very regularly. So they know what to expect sort of day in and day out. And they're getting really intimate with the deck list. So it's almost like the decks themselves, um, because they've got the cycles in with it, the incremental advantages from one to the next are so minute. Like, it's really just the surprise factor is, is really playing. But as far as Cobblade being the deck itself, like, it's blue-white control, but it's got the capacity to, you know, break the rules. Like, the sort of Feast or Famine has really changed, you know, the way that people are playing control decks because it's sort of doubling your mana, you yeah. know, on one side of double mana. And it's it's so oppressive, that you really want to make sure that uh, you're getting the most out of it. So I, I think that that's really what's done it. And um, it's like doubling your mana. It's unfair in a control deck. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, uh, Jay? What do you think? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's difficult. You don't you can't call some somebody out for not like being innovative. I mean, I'm playing Boros. I used to play Valakut. I didn't invent either of those. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing is, you know, you ask people what they're playing. And uh, you get a lot of, Durr, I'm playing the best deck. Uh, and then you're like, oh, okay, which one do you think is the best deck? And they all say Cobblade. Um, it's been around, you know, since Paris. It's been strong since Paris. I think that uh, I would really like to see somebody design a deck that has a good matchup against it. Um, and, you know, maybe we could start, you know, playing some other decks like i'd like if my fnm wasn't all poison and cobbly that'd be really great <laughs> you know because I, I stopped playing genesis wave because uh, you know in my meta there's five poison decks like even when i rip like a boss i can't do anything i just die to a turn two plague stinger like that's pretty brutal <laughs> yeah. um you know but but like i think the main problem is there's no decks out there or i haven't seen any decks out there so far that uh, are good against Boros, Valakut, and Cobblade, and I think right now you have to be good against those decks. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a couple other decks in the format that are, um, you know, like kind of tier two, tier one point five. But I mean, Cobblade's an amazing deck. It's it's blue white control that can that kills you, right? Like it yeah. deals you damage in your face. Uh, so that's something that you know controls always struggled with. And I mean, having you know, four planeswalkers, three planeswalkers to to run in there. Having, you know, I, I, like the version that I think is the best is the one that rebuys your hawks with the like the Laskin uh, version with uh, elixir yeah. immortality. Yeah, I think I think that's the best version. I get I get uh, crap for it all day on the cast uh, on uh, on the A team, <laughs> but I think it's I think it's the actual the best version. I think I think. You know, having three chump blocking hawks and rebuying them and playing your fourth hawk and getting them again, like, I don't know how that's bad. I don't know how double recall is bad. Um, I, I'm just going to put it out there that I would love it if somebody would come up with a different deck. Yeah, I think... I would absolutely love it. <laughs> I think, personally, the uh, that list, from what I've heard, is very slow. Like, Laskin got a, uh, got a couple unintentional draws in DC yeah. when he was playing that deck, but that's not necessarily something that, uh, you know, that's something that you could kind of work around with play faster, that kind of thing. But, uh, 
you know, and, and on its own, the interaction you described, I think, does sound really good. Uh, but I think it's a function of how much are you going to water down the deck? You know, basically, what are the other 55 cards in the deck where after the four squadron hawks and the, and the elixir of immortality? Like, how much do you need to allocate? How much space do you need to allocate in the deck to make that, uh, worth playing? Like, the, uh, do you want to play Mortar Pod? That was what Laskin was doing, where he was yeah. like, I can recycle these, so why not have an infinite Mortar Pod as, as a kill condition? And now it's like, okay, so now you're cutting another, you know, another yeah. card. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I think it's definitely uh, a cool idea. I mean, do you need to run Trinket Mage now to search for the Im- Elixir of Immortality? And now it's like, well, I might as well run Basilisk Collar, too, because it costs one, and I can grab it with a Trinket Mage. And, you know, it becomes almost yeah, an entirely getting, different deck, right? Yeah, you're getting into a, a, a sketchy area for sure, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's an idea, but it's, uh, it's something that I think needs to be explored. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with with the evolution of the splashes because I mean and I may, I haven't really watched enough of it so I mean I can't really speak to the the blue white black but I mean I think at this point with Alakid on the rise the if you're going to play a splash variant it's got to be blue white black but the, you know just based on Inquisition of Kozilek I think but the most important uh, version I think is just straight blue white like with with Valakit coming back and, and doing really well like the Valakit was uh, like four out of eight of the top eight of our event on the weekend like it was really everywhere uh, and there's a bunch of different lists that are playing it but I think that you know being able to play a lot of tech edges and spreading seeds you may see it coming up in the near future right like people are now realizing that there's no tech edge and there's no spreading there's there's not a lot of tech edge across the board only in the the dual color versions and there's no spreading seeds so like why wouldn't why wouldn't you play valakit or why wouldn't you you know uh play a three color deck like a naya vengevine list like you kidding me when spreading seeds and tech edge was running rampant you couldn't get away with a three color list yeah, I mean that's uh, I'm totally with you on that, and that's something that Joe and I talked about on uh, on SCG Live was how as much as as much strength that you add by being able to splash something like Cunning Spark Mage or Inquisition of Kozilek, uh, you lose the ability to run Tech Edge or to be uh, consistent against decks against some other decks. And I think the reason the deck was built in the first place was to do well against things like Valakit. But when it started to evolve to try to beat the mirror match, that's when things went awry and it lost its edge against Valakit. And I wasn't just referring to Tectonic Edge, but uh, I- I'm with you. I think I'm all for the consistency and the addition of uh, or the ability to run Tectonic Edge. I just think it's too important. People are still playing Rug, and that's a, I think Tectonic Edge is an important card to have against them. Uh, their Raging Ravines are certainly problems. For for a lot of control decks, uh, and just just being able to uh, to take out non basics, I mean it's huge. I think there's so many in the format that it's definitely necessary. But I guess we'll see what happens. Now, uh, a couple of decks that I wanted to bring up, and you, you mentioned one of them, Scott. Uh, if you are kind of feeling like the format's a little stale, uh, we've got a couple interesting lists. Goblins played by uh, David Kill Hefner made. St- Second place, made the finals of the the Dallas Open Series this past weekend. And uh, we have, it's it's a Goblins deck. I mean, it's a mono-red Goblins. And really, it looks like it's really cheap to build, too. 
it's it's got like four it's a bunch of commons and uncommons and then like goblin guide and uh ratchet four ratchet bombs in the sideboard yeah i, I think you're like goblin chieftain and goblin yeah. guides and elders right yeah, and the exactly. rest of it's all cheap right i mean even that like spike shot elders like two bucks and these are star city prices so like uh goblin chieftains like three bucks so it's like these cheap cheap cards this deck has uh you know, if somebody wants to play something different and they're on a budget, this kind of thing. Uh, Mono Red has typically been one of those budget decks, but since a lot of decks play for cost, it's sort of uh, strayed a little bit from that territory. But this one has no cost in sight. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's an interesting list. Obviously, it did well in this tournament. So if you... Uh, you know, if you're looking for something like that. And then the one that you mentioned, Scott, was uh, was Naya Vengevine. Um, that was one that was popular last spring when Vengevine was printed in Rise of the Eldrazi. That's that's the deck that I played at uh, GPDC. The Naya Vengevine list actually made fourth place in Dallas, uh, played by Ryan O'Connor. And he he's running quite a different list from the one that we saw, like, last year. He's got a lot of one ofs and a uh, and a fauna shaman package, but it's a it's another deck, another option. And uh, if you're kind of sick of playing things like rug and bug and valakit and uh, of course callblade, I'm actually got- looking at this nihilist here, and uh, it it's interesting. There's it's almost like the ultimate toolbox list. Yeah, I mean he's got like. Uh, I uh, just closed it. Okay, here it is. Yeah, he's got the the Swords of Feast and Famine. He's got two of those and a Basilisk Collar. And, uh, you know, so he's got some equipment. He's got the Four Stone Forge Mystic. But those were actually all, besides the swords, which obviously were just printed, were all in, uh, you know, the original Naya Vengevine list where Stone Forge Mystic could grab a uh, grab a Basilisk Collar and then put it on a Cunning Spark Mage. But, like, he's got Oxida Scrap Melter as a one-of, Inferno Titan, Hero of Oxid Ridge, uh, two acidic slimes, a Baneslayer angel, a sunblast angel, a Sylvan ranger, and uh, you know all these just one of oh, a precursor golem. So it's kind of a oh and a, and a Linvala. So I mean yeah, having uh, having access to all those different options, and then even the sideboard has uh, a sun titan, two core firewalker, two cunning spark mage. Um, it's it's kind of neat to it's basically a fauna shaman deck. I mean it's called Naya Vengevine, but it's very very uh, based around the the fauna shaman interaction. Or yeah, this is pretty good. I like the list. Two Gideon Jur in the sideboard seems really good. And I mean, between that and the Hero Box of Ridge and the Sunblast Angel, you should be all right in terms of you know uh, an aggro on aggro matchup. That seems pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, he did really well up until uh, I think you know he made fourth place, so he made the semis. And when I watched that match, he. Uh, he really like his deck just failed him. It wasn't. It just didn't show up. Like he mm-hmm. was either. I think in game one he was mana screwed, and in game two he was mana flooded. And it was like wow. He just he couldn't even compete because he just wasn't seeing the cards he needed, and it, it just looked like, you know, if he would have gotten kind of more of a a mix, you know, the uh, the variance wouldn't have killed him, so to speak. So I know you guys aren't big in, into legacy, but I'm going to touch on uh, on just a couple of the things real quick. Um, obviously, Alex Bertoncini is is a huge proponent of the Merfolk list, and he has been playing it at Star City Opens for months and months, and finally took one down in Memphis, uh, which 
was a big part of him making uh, the the first ever level six in the Star City Games Players Club. Uh, although after this weekend, I believe Jerry has now made level seven, and uh, I'm not sure about Alex. Again, I'm not seeing the the current points, but Alex may also be level seven. So those guys just uh, rocking it. But this past weekend in Dallas, th- this is a list I want to touch on is. Uh, Tezzeret Affinity was the winner, and Affinity's been a legacy staple for a while. I mean, pretty much as long as it's been around. It's such a strong deck, but... So Blake McCracken takes Affinity and makes some modifications, cutting Arcbound Ravager and uh, some other staples of the deck and replacing it with Tezzeret, which it's been, you know, a, a topic of conversation since Tezzeret was spoiled. Uh, does he belong in Affinity, in Legacy Affinity? And so far... Those that have done it maybe haven't succeeded. I don't know. I haven't really seen a lot of that because I guess because they haven't succeeded. But this guy, you know, takes it all the way, wins the legacy portion of uh, of the Dallas uh, tournament, and it was it was really neat to see because it, he would go like turn one, see to the Synod, uh, Ornithopter, Mox Opal, and and then like Frogmite, it was just like he was dropping his permanents all into play on turn one and two, and suddenly, I mean, he could have like a turn two Tezzeret, turn three, you're dead, like drain you by for so much, or or uh, you know, pretty much put you to the point where you're just about dead, and then swing in with the rest of his creatures. It was crazy the things that he could do with it, and uh, I think it, it's kind of funny because if you guys uh, listened to this this week's episode of uh, Crazy Talk, episode three. KYT has, you know, started this new legacy podcast, and our uh, our buddy Jonathan Medina is another host on there. Uh, John was completely dogging the idea of putting Tezzeret in Affinity, and right after that episode comes out, it wins the tournament. So, I, I think... Okay, yeah, hold, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. John did Destructive Forces on Titan, right? He did, but you know... <laughs> He did that on purpose. Oh yeah! Oh, oh yeah! It was very. He was trying. He he knows you know how good of a player he is, and he uh, he was trying to make things more interesting, give himself more of a challenge. And if he he actually would have won that game after destructive, you know, he played destructive force to kill his own. Yeah, fight no, no, on purpose. Right? Yeah. Like he did it just because he wanted it to be you know a story. But uh, yeah, I, he, I he think, did. He would have won. I think the point I'm trying to make is that any deck. <laughs> With Tezzeret. Like, seriously, if any deck is going to just flat win off of a Tezzeret ultimate, it's Affinity, right? Because you're basically getting all of the land value plus the creatures that you have on board, yeah. right? Because you're playing all the artifact lands. Like, right. it's going to be – you fire him off ultimate, it's going to be game over. Just period, end of story. So I don't see why you wouldn't drop a two-turn clock into that deck. I think uh... – you know, as far as, like you said, it, it's basically the only non-artifacts in the deck are Tezzeret and Thoughtcast. Um, yeah. And, and Blink Moth Nexus is arguably an artifact because it can become one. Right. Um, but, oh, he's got, like, Diabolic Edict and Thoughtseize in the sideboard. But, yeah, so that is a huge thing. Like, Tezzeret being able to count your artifact lands obviously increases his strength uh, to a ridiculous amount. But I know John's argument was that what... What matchups does it help? Like, where where are Affinity's weaknesses, and how does Tezzeret address those weaknesses? And and I think his that was a valid point. Um, but this just I think what it does is takes Tezzeret in a completely, uh, or it takes Affinity in sort of another direction by being almost a combo deck. Like I'm just going to drop a bunch of artifacts, play Tezzeret, and 
then just kill you with Tezzeret, and if that's not working, I'll just still attack you with cranial plating on a frog mite or something, you know? Right. Uh, it's uh, he was actually what I saw in in the the top eight, etched champion was huge in the deck because it was almost always getting its metal craft uh, because you know obviously so many artifacts it had protection from all colors, so he would just put cranial plating on an etched champion and it was an unblockable win condition uh, for the most part unless somebody had artifacts to block to chump block but it was like etched champion in for you know eight. Tezzeret burn you for 16 or something. It was just, it was nuts. Yeah. So, uh, I think, <clears throat> I think that deck is gonna, oh, it's gonna merit a lot of attention this, this week coming up at, uh, Star City LA. So I think a lot of players are gonna jump on that because a lot of people want to play Tezzeret and here's a way to play it. Uh, a deck that actually is really good with it. Uh, so keep an eye out. All you legacy players are gonna have to figure out how to beat this deck. So just this past week, we had an announcement for uh, for the fall set. Uh, the The name has been released. It's Innistrad, and it it looks like it's a very horror kind of dark set. Um, we've got the only art from it is a shot of what looks pretty assuredly is uh, Liliana sitting on a throne. And yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to. Is this going to be like maybe more vampire themed? Are we getting Vampire Nocturnus back? Uh, is it is this Baron Sengir's home plane because he was a uh, he was a big character in the Homeland storyline? I know a lot of you either didn't play back then or uh, maybe tried to erase Homelands from your collective memory. Um, <laughs> but well, uh, home, Homeland Homelands was never the home plane of Baron Sengir, right? Right. No, that it all took place on Olgratha was the name of the plane, and that was not his home plane. Like he was trapped there. So yeah. uh, Baron Sengir may be a lot of speculation is that maybe Innistrad is his home plane, and, and that's really something like that. It sounds really cool, and I'm excited to find out about that. But the the thing that I want to talk about is the fact that we know almost nothing about action, which is the, th- the third set in Scars Block. Um, you know, we've only got the the code name for it. Action is basically what people are referring to it as because it's either going to be Mirrodin Pure or New Phyrexia. Um, and there's a lot of you know we, we've had speculation before. Uh, we've known about this for a long time that it was going to be either one. But I think the the, the question comes up that. Is this getting going kind of too far at this point? Like here we are, it's it's coming out. Like the pre-release is maybe a month away, if that, and we don't know the name, and we know the name of the fall set. We know in the summer we're going to have M12, obviously. We don't know anything really about it, but it's it's kind of like are we it, we're getting ahead of ourselves? And and is this maybe a? I, it feels to me like a, a very awkward, I guess. How do you guys like feel about the the whole in, uh, action kind of thing? I think um, I think like I, I'm, I'm not bothered by it at all. Um, obviously, that like I knew, and we all knew. I thought like a long time ago that they weren't going to tell us if it was Mirrodin or Phyrexia um, until like as late as they possibly can. Hell, I'd be okay with it just being on release day. Like I show, I show up. Obviously, right? that's what I mean. Yeah, like I show up to the pre-release, and I have no idea what set we're talking about, and yeah. they just hand me packs. I think I'd be, I'd be fine with that. I think that'd be, that'd be really flavorful. It'd be really fun. It'd be in theme with the rest of the block and what they've been doing so far in hyping. Um, so I don't mind that we're finding out 
you know, in a strat and information before that. That being said, the gimmick itself of like, is it mirrored in pure? Is it Phyrexian? Um, that I don't really like, I don't really care which side it is at all. I have, I have no flavorful Vorthos desire to invest any time in that whatsoever. Um, so like that being said, um, I, th- I think I can do without the hype. I, I'm really hyped up about Innistrad, actually, in terms of Flavorful and Vorthos. It looks like it's going to be really fun. Uh, I'm excited for Black to get some good cards, um, hopefully. I'm, yeah. uh, I-, I hope that they continue on with like the artifacts, at least sort of, theme, uh, because I would really hate to go from an artifact block into a non-artifact block and have you know, certain cards be kind of rendered obsolete or useless. Um, and I, cause I really hate that when they do that block to block, when they make an, like a, an interesting mechanic or an interesting card. And then they kind of, they have the opportunity to take a card that's mediocre and make it maybe par or, or really good. And they discard like that theme right. and they don't improve that card whatsoever. And it could have been really good. You so know? I think, I think a good example of that being successful is Knight of the Reliquary, right? From Knight of the Reliquary, from shards down to Zendikar with all the fetches. And then Stoneforge Mystic too, I think yeah. is another example. Yeah. And I would prefer it if they continue that trend of, of making cards that, you know, the inside track is like, this card's really interesting. I think this is going to be a player. Like, this card right now doesn't really have anything to do, but, but it's going to be, it's going to be a house down the road potentially, and you can take that risk. As opposed to like, look at this flashy, awesome card that then we're going to nullify by making it completely obsolete so that you either invested in them or you open them and they just are dust collectors in your binder like most of your other stuff. Like, yeah, I, would, I really hope that doesn't happen, and uh, but I'm really interested in it. I think Innistrad looks sick. I think uh, from Innistrad's perspective, like uh, um, everyone's tired of the war. You know, nobody, like Jay said, nobody really cares who wins anymore. You know, yeah. Uh, and if they do, fine. But I, I think the Besiege thing was really good, and it, it it hyped us for you know the new set for about a month or two. But now we're just kind of like, okay, fine. Where's our spoilers? Like, just get it together. Uh, they've kind of been trying to leak some information. Um, obviously, with the whole M12 situation with the planeswalkers that they're they're going to be promoting, and you know, Gideon likely being reprinted in some form or another. Pardon me, Soren Markov taking Liliana's spot. You know, now we understand that. Hey, here's here she is on Innistrad. There's a there's a really good article on Mana Nation actually, um, where excellent from, article, excellent article. Where from a Vorthos perspective, they went through the entire picture, like and analyzed all of the small little art clues and and all that sort of stuff. And and it really feels like it's probably for all of you, you know, second edition Dungeons and Dragons players out there. It's like we're going to Ravenloft in our Magic cards, which is freaking amazing. I think because there's going to be a nice eerie flavor. I think about the storyline and the artwork and you know a dark gothic kind of sub theme. I think it's going to be really neat because like the artwork lately in the Magic cards and the worlds and stuff have been amazing. You know, and and I know that Joey, you're you're a big advocate for you know for the art flavoring, and I think that we're really going to see some heavy saturation of that coming through the pipe, and I'm really stoked. And hopefully, Liliana will not suck. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple of things real quick. First, the uh, for those of you who don't know, a lot of that M12 speculation is based off of a wallpaper of the week that was released. I think. Uh, Let's see. It was it was I believe on the uh, 11th of March where it, it showed five planeswalkers and um, 
it said Magic 2012, so you obviously think, okay, these Assume. are the Planeswalkers in, in 2012, and we've got Gideon, Soren, Chandra, Garrick, and Jace. So Chandra, Garrick, and Jace have been uh, corset staples, but Gideon and Soren have not, and so we're assuming that either they're going to reprint Gideon and Soren in M12, or we may actually be getting new versions of any any of those Planeswalkers. So, And that's, that's flavorful of... Uh, Rise, is it not, where Gideon and Soren kind of were enemies, but they had to work together to uh, defeat and then save that plane. And so, like, if they're progressing with that storyline, that could be really interesting as well. And if we follow the webcomic on Daily MTG, um, Liliana wasn't in that 2012 Planeswalker page. She is in the Innistrad. I think that was very clever of them to do. Right. And Garrick was in that 2012. And that webcomic, we know that Garrick is hunting Liliana. Yeah, so they're, they're keeping all those characters kind of around uh, in their consciousness, so that's kind of cool. Um, but uh, so, so that's the first thing for the, anybody who didn't realize where that speculation was coming from. But you guys actually totally made the exact point that I was kind of getting at was we don't care anymore about action or it's not, we don't care anymore, but we've basically kind of like, we get it. It's been this way for months. Like we've, we've seen this trailer already. Uh, we don't yeah. need to watch it again. I'm not at all excited for this set. I'm really excited for Innistrad and M12. Like both of you just jumped right over <laughs> action mm-hmm. and said, I'm really excited for the fall stuff. And I'm, I'm with you guys. Like I'm excited yeah. for M12 and Innistrad. And that's the problem. Like why, why are we not excited for action? Because we're tired of the, the marketing. They're not giving us anything. They're yeah. giving us very little. They're like, oh, okay, so here's product shots. It's going to be one of these. Like, product Ooh. shots. Yeah. They never really get me that excited. I'm like, okay, so that's what the box looks like. Great. Like, yeah. Uh, what do I care? Right. I think, mean, and I think, cool, I think but... you hit the nail on the head when you said that, when you made the reference to the um, the trailer as well. Because um, it is like a trailer. Like, like I've watched this, I've watched this Battle LA trailer a hundred times. I don't care about. Independence Day anymore. It's 2011. Like, action is not... Like, I don't even... I'm not even excited for the pre-release. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go because that's what I do. Right. I'm not... I'm not... Yeah, like, exactly. I'm not... I'm not waiting for the pre-release. I'm not like, oh, man, Scotty. Like, can't wait till we get to go and, like, do our pre-release and just, like rocket it's going to be so awesome that like i've you know i don't even care i just want to play 2012 right. i want to start practicing for gps like yeah i, I think mean, to, I, 2012 would be really neat i mean obviously they're not bringing titans back right like i, I, don't, I, I don't i think it would i hope they don't that's what i'm hoping so yeah so and, and i think what we're going to likely see is is if if they're needing a way to hype up the set with chase rares you know just reprinting gideon and so are not going to do it there's kind of a bit of a new artwork flavor kind of to all of those planeswalkers that are in that uh, in that picture. So how sick would it be if they just revamped all five, made those the new five basic and revamped all of them? Yeah, that, that would be pretty nuts. And I think, uh, I guess that's always possible. But then again, looking back the last few years, they've just continuously reprinted the Lorwyn walkers. So I feel like the safe bet is to say, all right, we're going to see Jace Bellerin and Chandra, probably Nalar, because even Aaron Forsyth has said that he feels like Chandra Ablaze was a fail. So uh, so I think we're going to see probably Garrick, probably Jace Bellerin, probably Chandra Nalar, and then just Gideon Jura and Soren Markov, and no new uh, new version of any of them. I, I think the reason, part of that reasoning is because that's what they've always done, is just reprint other ones that have already been printed. And part of it is, I feel like they're not going to go, all right, let's have a new Gideon and a new Soren 
but leave the rest. And I think the potential for them to like print completely new versions of all of these, I just think that's like just not that likely. I, I don't really know. I don't have a good reason for that, but uh, you know, it's it seems unlikely. So it just seems like th- what maybe this was a mistake, maybe or maybe they're it's not a mistake on the you know on the whole, but maybe they could be doing something better, giving us a little bit more information. Like you said, Scott, like uh, you know, we we've it was cool what they did for besieged. We realized these two sides are battling and these two factions, but we really haven't gotten anything further than that. Like really what's that was the gimmick for besieged. So the gimmick for this next one is, well, these two sides are battling. It's the same thing. One wins. Oh, surprise. (laughs) Like, like you know, that we kind of knew that. So I'm not excited like to, to learn anything because yeah. there's nothing new to learn or to be excited about. The only set. two things, the only two things that are really exciting about the new set is a, what are the abilities on the red and white sword? And B, yeah. are they finally going to make Carnaplanes Walker? And, and like, seriously, those are the only two things that I think are even remotely hype worthy at this point of coming out of the set. Right. Absolutely. And, and the, the sword thing seems like it's, we're definitely going to get a wet red and white sword. I'm pretty sure that's been sort of confirmed somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's exciting. And then the Karn thing obviously hasn't been confirmed, but people love Karn. And at this point, like, I really hope we see a Karn planeswalker or something, even if they say Karn loses his spark, but here's a creature version of it, like something like that. Like, I want another Karn, mm-hmm. uh, not just on the artwork for a new, uh, you know, a new version of control magic, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think they set things up perfectly for us to, uh, to title this episode, All Talk, No Action. So, <laughs> <Sick>. <laughs> so uh, you know, that said, I think, uh, I know you guys got to get going. Let's just run down some upcoming events and then, uh, and then we'll wrap up. Cool. So, uh, we've got this weekend, as uh, I mentioned a few minutes ago, was, is the, uh, StarCityGames.com Open Series coming to Los Angeles, March 26th and 27th, and, uh, JVL and Adrian Sullivan will be the SCG Live commentators for that event, so catch those guys on scglive.com. Um, also this weekend, we have GP Barcelona, and the format is standard, so let's see if, uh, if we get some more innovative deck lists out of that. I'm kind of excited to see how many versions of Callblade we see in the top eight. Uh, that was sarcasm. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, of course, uh, and then the, the weekend after that is the Star City Games Open Series in Atlanta, and that's uh, April 2nd and 3rd, and we have Gavin Verhey and Adrian Sullivan as the SCG Live commentators for that. So, again, we've got consecutive weeks of events coming up, um, both Wizards events and Star City events, and it's uh, it's really, this is such, I mean, people keep saying it, and I've even said it before, but we're kind of so lucky right now to have so much magic to either play in or watch from home when we can't make it to the events. It, hey, uh, speak for yourself. Us Canadians, we're still experiencing the shaft on the play. Hey, but you still have the internet. You can watch SCG Live. Yeah, but that's still works. only half as good. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, I... Uh, the, the fact that we have that as an option is really cool because for a long time we just would go, okay, Monday morning, what a tournament happened, what are the deck lists, you know? Uh, and and that, was, that was as recently as, you know, the last, you know, maybe a year or two years ago. So uh, 
of course, you look really back in the in the dark ages, and I don't mean the set. You know, it was uh, two months before you found out what decks won events because people were like waiting for the duelist to come out and uh, <laughs> and get the you know. So who won the pro tour? Uh, I don't know. Next, we'll find out in the next issue of the duelist in six weeks or something like that. So. Uh, it was pretty terrible. Now uh, we're we're pretty lucky to actually watch this stuff live if we can't actually make it. I think Canada will catch up. I think just just the fact that Star City has shown that a tournament series could be so successful, uh, I think that shows that there is an opportunity in Canada. Whether it, it's even Star City were to expand a little bit further north, I don't know how likely that is, uh, or just another, you know, an, an, a Canadian company can, you know, try to see what they can do. I know KYT was working on something like that, right? I mean, there's enough players here. Like, it doesn't have to be a Canadian company, even if, you know, I mean, and this is this happens a lot, but if any company ever wanted to take a chance on Canada, it's not like we're uh, in the dark ages here. You know, we have internet, we have cars. <laughs> <laughs> we can drive to events. We have lots of money that you want, you know. <laughs> Discovered fire and invented the wheel. And you're good. Exactly, yeah. So. Zippers and Skittles. <laughs> is, that the, is that the judge of technology now? Mm-hmm. That sounds good. <laughs> As we're about to wrap up here, is there anything you guys want to plug? Wife plug always. Always a big wife club. Uh, I wanted to really just, again, genuinely thank every single person uh, as part of the Magic community um, for getting me out to Toronto, for supporting uh, the cast, for supporting TAPS and A-Team. Like, you know, with, without listeners, we can't do this. So uh, really big thank you to everybody. And again, like, I'm just so surprised and elated and taken back and... and uh, just amazed at the at the outpouring of support from everybody uh, and I think that's the way that we need to keep it I think we need to start edging out those guys and we need to start you know keep being these guys Scott you're up uh, no I just uh, a really awesome time and thanks for everyone that we were able to see this weekend uh, thanks for having us on this week uh, it's always an honor and a pleasure to uh, step up to the big leagues as it were well, I appreciate you guys filling in. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I don't know that we're big leagues. I guess it's kind of funny to think of it that way, but I appreciate you guys uh, filling in for Joe, and absolutely awesome to have you guys on. Uh, Scott, it's been a long time since you've been on. I think the last time you were on, you didn't have a podcast, so it's, it's been way too long. <laughs> hey, that, that wasn't, I was just saying how long it's been. It's like so much has changed, right? Yeah, no, it's 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 good. You know, we're uh, we've been enjoying a lot of success. Uh, we've got a, a lot of really loyal and amazing listeners, like Jay was saying. And you know, I mean, we we credit the start to you guys. So, you know, we we really appreciate what you guys have done for the community in terms of setting the bar. And uh, you know, we're just glad to be on board. So, sick. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Well, so thanks much. for having me. Absolutely. Thank you guys for being here. And uh, we are Yo MTG Taps. Stop, Stop bitching. Start, start brewing. Brew. Cool, thanks guys. That was totally out of sync. It was awesome. I'm a tutor of Shriek Ma. Evoke it, then bring back Shriek Ma. All my blockers are dead. You want to be? No! I gotta wait until my lock is complete. You can't kill me yet. I understand. You're not quite comfy until you kill all my land. I'll just check out while you recur your whole hand And wait the ten minutes that this one turn is spanned Yup, you really got me 360 degrees I guess that's how it goes when you still had all these D, 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 I 